Hi, this is Pastor Jake from Harvest Community Church. We meet on Sundays at 11 a.m. at 18511 East Hampton Avenue, Suite 204. We're located in the Movie Tavern Shopping Center next to the State Farm. You can check us out online at Facebook or on our webpage at harvestcolorado.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon. Uh, we are in our uh, Life in the Spirit ser- series, and we talked about prayer, and we've talked about uh, the Word, or we've talked about worship, and we're going to talk about the Word this morning. So uh, if you have your Bible, or if you'd like to go on the bulletin, uh, you can actually see it right there and click on it, and it pops up. It's pretty darn cool. Those computers are amazing. Um, we're in uh, Deuteronomy 6.4. And see, the beauty of having an electronic Bible is you can just click on a button and it goes. You don't have to like you know go to the beginning of the Bible and try to figure it out. I know. I have a paper one too. I believe in paper also. So, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Read with me, uh, or read along with me as I read. Hero Israel. Oh, by the way, I, I'm not going to do it in Hebrew. I'm, I, no, I can't. Uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, or excuse me, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your, to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall, not, or you shall write, or write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. It's interesting that uh, I, I kind of did this whole series backwards. And I kind of apologize. The, the uh, prayer and worship uh, sermons probably should have been uh, uh, later. And the reason I say that is I think that prayer and worship really don't have a foundation in the life of a Christian uh, without the revelation of who God is. Yeah, we can, uh, if you're a student, you know what it's like to pray before a test. Well, we, we as humans really don't need a whole lot to pray, to hope and scream out to the universe, Oh Lord, or whatever, help me with this. Prayer becomes just a wish more than anything without Scripture. Worship is just music on a note or music on a page without a foundation of Scripture. I was reminded of that this morning when we were singing The Lord is Gracious and Compassionate. This isn't just somebody's imagination that made this up. This is from the Psalms. Go find it. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. God's words on a page sung without the foundation of God's revelation of who He is in Scripture. We do not have songs of praise. We do not have words for prayer. In many respects, today's message about God's Word is the foundation of all that we do as believers and as a church. I wanted to kind of set the stage for that. And I think this morning it's important to recognize that this scripture that we read this morning is all for one reason. God himself wants to be known and provides his word as a means of that revelation. God wants to be known. When uh, Jen and I were dating, uh, well actually well before we were dating, 
uh, we became really close friends. And the way we did that, the way we got to know one another, is we spent lots of time uh, talking over calzones. We went to the University of Northern Colorado, uh, and they had an on-campus pizza shop called Arnie's. And the beautiful thing was is that you could charge your calzones to your account. And I was glad to let her do that. <laughs> and I got to, I really thank her father, because her dad actually <laughs> paid for it all eventually. Um, but we got to know one another over food, and we enjoyed it. We had great conversations, and to this day, we still have amazing conversations about all manner of things. But it's not as if we just stood and looked at each other longing in our eyes and just communicated with our brain waves. We had to talk. We had to use words. We are unique creations in that we communicate not with, uh, you know, uh, weird dances. Well, okay, some of us. Uh, uh, but we, we communicate our feelings and our intentions of our hearts and, and our minds with words. Words are the foundation of relationship. Jen and I would never have known each other without her talking and with me talking. We used words as the foundation of a relationship. And I don't think this, I think it's the same thing with God. God doesn't just make sunrises and sunsets and goes, figure it out. In Romans 1, it says that God has made himself known by uh, inc or communicable attributes such as his power in terms of creation uh, and his creativity uh, and, and, and things that you find in nature and his power. But God is known through his words. We come to know God through what he says. Later on, as we, Jen and I, were growing in love with each other, we, I went, she went to a different school, and uh, we would write letters. And I thought about it the other day. I would tell her what's going on at, in Greeley, and she would tell me what was going on in Lakewood. Back and forth. This is before email. You know, you had to write a letter. One of these days, I'm actually going to pull those out and see what I wrote. That'd be kind of a... I know, I know where they are, too. It's as if God has written us love letters. It's as if God is himself uh, in his divine uh, love and care and mercy for us has given us of himself on paper through words given, words received. God wants to be known. And God has made himself known through his speaking to his people. In Genesis 1, he speaks the world into existence. He interacts with people through his introducing of himself to others with words. Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Moses. Think about this one for a moment. Moses just minding his business. And out of nowhere, a burning bush. And God says, take your shoes off for this is a holy place. He introduces himself. Hi, I'm God. Nice to meet you. What should I call you? I am that I am. Well, that seems like a great name. Samuel. He keeps hearing God's voice and says, what should I do? So he runs to his, his, uh, his mentor and says, what should I do? And he says, you should say, just yes, Lord, here I am. Isaiah, send me, Lord. Ruth, 
Elijah, Hosea, all of these people, the thing they have in common is that God has made himself known to them through his giving his words to them, speaking to them. He is making himself known. You see, God's words are personal. They're introductory. And they're the beginning of the relationship. I love what it says in the book of Hebrews. For God, or for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. That does not sound like rote words inside of a manual. That sounds like somebody speaking directly to you and to me and to a people. Eugene Peterson says in his book about praying the Psalms, he says, God's word is not a reference library. Oh, how often do we use it as one, though? God's words are not a reference library. Rather, they are alive and personal words to us, or as he says, creating and saving words, hitting us right where we live. That sounds like a God who is active in the presence and of his people, where they are with his words. God's words are revelatory, uncovering exactly who he is. You see, he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Many, many religions in the world have done just this thing. They've guessed. The Egyptians, sun god. Well, the sun is always there and it's hot, especially in Egypt. So he must be like that. God must be like this. But the God of the Hebrews the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of Jesus Christ, is personal. I am. This is me. There are no others. You can't even make an image of me. I am so indescribable, but I'm going to tell you who I am with what I say. We come to know him by his words, his self-disclosure. And God is ultimately, though, made known in the living word of Jesus Christ. We read it this morning, and I'll read it again in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh. The word. The very essence of who God is, as expressed in the Old Testament, has come to become found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The apostle Paul even goes further in Colossians chapter 1. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. How do we know that? Because he told us with words. He didn't leave it for us to guess. God isn't up there going, well, I hope they get it right. He would rather be known completely and fully. And he gives us the exact thing. It's like going to Ikea and buying one of those darn tables and trying to put it together without the instructions. If you have no idea, all you have is that little Swedish bald guy laughing at you the entire time. But God isn't like that. God has not left it up to us to figure it out. God has simply told us who he is. 
what he is like and what his people will be like. And in Christ, we find out exactly what God is like. Jesus is exactly what God is. He's the living word of God. He says, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He is the living embodiment of all God has said. He is what God is like. He is holiness and humanity in one person. But not only does God reveals himself to the Hebrews and gives them the, the law and he gives them all about who God is and then ultimately we find the fulfillment of all of God's law and who he is and his personality in the person of Jesus Christ. But even further than that, God does not leave us alone after Christ goes into heaven because what do you do when the word of God leaves? He says, don't worry. I'll send another. I'll send my Holy Spirit. In John 14, 24 and 26, it says the very thing. It says, don't worry about anything. He says, I'm going to send my counselor. I'm going to send my spirit to you. Jesus' words are like this. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said. Think about that for a moment. How in the world... Do you take three years of your life spent with the Son of God, the very Word of God, and how do you expect to remember it in such fine detail and remembering exactly what Jesus did, when he did it, how he did it? How does that happen? I can barely remember what I'm supposed to get at the King Supers. I go there and I stand in the aisle and I go, I know I came for something. I end up in a basket full of things that I don't eat. But with the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they're able to remember how God sent his Holy Spirit to remind them everything about who he is and what he has said. You see, God did not leave them alone and because we're forgetful. The Holy Spirit comes in and reminds them of all he said. Even John says in his account that his book could have been much larger. But he weeded it out because he wanted just to, to, to let us know who Jesus really is. He let all the other cool stuff out there. Maybe we'll ask him when we get to heaven. Hey, John, what were the other parts? You see, the role of the Holy Spirit was to bring to mind all that God had spoken in the Torah, in the prophets, in the writings, and in Jesus Christ. The role was to bring everything into our hearts. You see, it says here, real simple, in verse 6, or verse uh, verse 6 that we were reading this morning, and these words I command you shall be on your heart. It's the Holy Spirit's job to take all that God has said through all of the millennia and place it into the very fabric of our conscience, the very fabric of our being. It says later on, Jesus says that we will make our home in you. See, the Holy Spirit comes as a promise and lives inside of us to remind us of all that God has said, of all who He is, and all what we're supposed to be like. Then it goes to this. Not only is the Word something about God and tells us who He is and what He's like and how we ought to respond to Him, but it tells us how we can encounter Him in the text itself. The text is not God. Let me be sure of telling you that. The text is not something that we should deify and put up there and says, well, the Bible is the text or the Bible is God. It is not. It is his revelation of himself. And we are, we are invited to respond to the God of the text. We encounter him inside of it. If you notice at the beginning of this scripture, you shall love the Lord with all your heart, 
It says these commands will be on your heart, the very fabric of your consciousness. These words, this revelation of who God is will melt into the very being. When I was a kid, my mom and dad used to have iron-ons. Did you have an iron-on? You had like a t-shirt and you wanted to put something on the t-shirt. You ironed it on there and it became a new t-shirt. And then about eight washes later, it started to fade off and whatever it was is no longer. In the same way, God's word, the very... Uh, the very Lord of creation takes his words and impresses them like an iron-on to the fabric of your life indelibly, cannot be removed, does not fade over time. Love the Lord with all your heart. Encounter God in such a way that his words become part of you. Love the Lord with all your soul, it says. It's almost as if God is saying, listen, don't just receive the words and glue them on, but wrestle with them. There's this idea of this intellectual consideration of all of who God is and what he is like. The words of God are not simply supposed to be something that goes in one ear and out the other. But something that is absorbed into your very being and the very core of who you are. He invites us to take that part of us that interacts with God, our soul, and interact with him on a personal level. Because these words are not just spoken to a nation. They are spoken to people. Individuals just like you. These words are for you. Not just harvest. Talk about them, it goes on to say. Meditate on them. Contemplate them. Chew on them. Consider them. These words are life. I love what, uh, every day it sunsets over the mountains. How many times a day do we go out or, uh, and we look at them and we go, oh. And we stand there and we consider it and we go, that's amazing. God is truly a Broncos fan. <laughs> we look at the colors. We consider them. Sometimes our minds go beyond that and go, I wonder what California is seeing right now. Because, you know, the mountains have covered it, but the earth is still going. And, wow, it's amazing. When we stand in the wintertime and we stare at... Mount Evans full of snow, Long's Peak up in the north, and you can see the snow and the ice, and you consider it in the cold mornings of like, oh, I'm so grateful to be here on Arapahoe Road going west. How often do we do that with God's words, though? The psalmist says, you made man just a little bit lower than the angels. Who am I that you consider me? Who am I, God, that you made me what I am, that you want to be with me, that you made yourself known? We ought to take God's word and not just absorb it into our soul and say, look at my shiny new t-shirt, but rather, oh my gosh, who is this God? And who am I compared to him? God searches our hearts and our souls with his word and he invades our darkness and exposes us to his light and says, let me heal you. But not only that, it's communal and personal. It speaks to the soul of a people, of a group, of a church, but it speaks to the souls of individuals. Don't tell me that when the words of God, when God is really after you, he hits you like a javelin on in, in, into the ground and hits your soul in such a way that you must deal with him. Whether we ignore him and say, nope, or readdressing, so, oh, woe to me. I am a man of unclean lips. I am undone. Heal my heart. And lastly, love the Lord with all your might. 
You see, it takes discipline and effort to let God's word invade your essence as a person. It takes guts to open this on a daily basis and read the words of the scriptures and read the words of Christ that says, who condemns you? Go and sin no more. When you read the words of the apostle as he's uh, admonishing uh, other churches and saying, listen, you are not living holy as if the way that God wants you to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We must engage in the discipline of allowing God to speak to us in these words and to change us by his words. Because the end goal is is to have God dwell in the very essence of your being, to make his dwelling place in you. This means I must discipline myself to allow his words to move in and push the other stuff out. Love your neighbor as yourself. But I don't like them. I didn't say that. Do not look at the sin of your brother, but look at your sin first. Take care of the log in your eye. Then you'll see fit to deal with the speck in somebody else's. We must allow ourselves the discipline and the, and the ability and the tenaciousness to be in God's word in such a way that it, it affects us and changes us and allows us to be transformed. In the process, though, it takes time. I know we live in an instant microwave, you know, cell phone, smartphone world where everything is immediate and where we get really, really upset when it takes like two more seconds for something to show up on our phone screens or when the cable TV doesn't work as it's supposed to. This is something that is long. This is a process. This takes time. It takes time, a willingness to let God be God to me and speak truth. So how do we do it? Well, I know the obvious answer. Read your Bible. Yes. But there's reading that just skims. There's there's Twitter type reading where you're like, no, no, no. Retweet. But there is contemplative. There's meditative reading. And I think God wants us to do that instead. He wants us to look at the grander picture and and take the entire story, but also allow his words to speak to us. And we ought to do that as we read. There's a great book that says How to Read a Book. I know, it's funny, right? There's a book called How to Read a Book. But in there, there's a great thing. It says allow yourself to step into the pages of what you're reading. Step into the environment. Who are the people there? Step into the shoes of the Israelites as they hear God's word for the very first time. What's that like? What is he saying? What's going on? Why is Paul talking like this? What's going on in the Corinthian church at the time? Move in. Let it envelop you. Step into it like it was a movie scene. Like a TV show. And you are a fly on the wall, one of those extras just watching the actors do their thing. Get a feel for what's going on. Don't just read it like it's a reference book. But read it like you are a character within the story because you are. But outside of that, we must take God's, in, God's word in together. What I mean by that is that there are no individual script copies of scripture then. The Israelites had one set. Later on, uh, the different synagogues would have their one community set. We are all blessed that we have our paper and our electronic versions. We have it in song. We have it in prayer. We have it all over the place, but we do not learn it together 
This is a call back to that. When we come here on a Sunday morning, when we come regularly, we allow ourselves to be immersed within the scriptures themselves. We encounter God together in the pages of the text. If you notice, like I pulled this song out, scripture is sung. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. That's scripture, guys. The other songs we sang this morning, a lot of them. I am who you say I am. Scripture. Just as I am. Basis is scripture. All the songs we sing, scripture. We are singing those not to entertain you. And not to say, boy, that's just amazing. Bravo on your musicianship. We are saying, no, these are the ways that we remember scripture. We learn the text together. When we leave here and we go, just as I am, without one plea. That's God's way of using his text in a way that it helps us remember when we pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's not just me making stuff up. That's Psalm 23. That's scripture. When we pray, prayer, the foundation of it is who God is in scripture. These are words spoken, creating life in us, convicting, rebuking, encouraging, and blessing us together. It's God's word presented in ways to help us absorb them into the very fabric of ourselves. God's words are meant to be discussed in small group. Thank you, Dave. Serious. Talked over, worked through in community. Jake, I don't understand what you just said. Well, come talk to me about it. Let's work through it together. But not only is it a together thing, but it is also an individual thing. Don't get me wrong. If we just come here on a Sunday morning, yeah, that's great. But we also must take this and make it an individual thing as well. We must be committing ourselves to the ability to read, to absorb, whether that's my utmost for us highest, whether that's my little daily bread, little devotional, whether it's whatever you have on your phone, whether you need one or not, we must be personally involved in reading the scriptures on a daily basis, allowing his words to seep into our very souls. I love when we read this, Psalm 119. How does a young man keep his way pure? Guard your heart with scripture. Seek God with your whole heart. Store the words of God in your heart that I might not sin against you, that I might not mess up my relationship with you, that I might not offend you. Take what is learned, sung, spoken, and absorb it into your soul. As we said earlier, the word of God is alive and his presence in those words will invade your soul. Not everything in scripture is nice. Not everything in scripture reserves a platitude that puts on a wall like a cat hanging from a tree. There was a lot of things that Jesus said that were nice and encouraging, but a lot of what he said was about giving up ourselves to follow him, loving our neighbors, praying for our enemies, doing things that are contrary to our human nature. And they are things that are at war with our soul. But as you take his word in personally, it will slam you like waves on the shore of your life. It will erode you as you are and allow yourself to be rebuilt in his image. It'll pull back the hidden things, sins and desires to be our own saviors and say, no, I am your savior alone, Jesus would say. We ought to take time to meditate and contemplate it. Savor the word. Hear God speak in the words to you. Consider the implication. What does this mean for me today? And lastly, I'll say this. 
the, script, the writer here says these things. You should teach them. You should talk about them. You should do these things. But then he goes on to say, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. The Jews would take this leather strap and wrap it all the way around their arms. And now, for me, that's kind of cool looking. But, right? So they would have this thing. But it was a reminder of God's word. It was a touchstone to say, oh, yeah. Remember my scripture. They would wear a, a phylactery, which was a little box right on their forehead, and they had scripture right inside of it, and it was a, a reminder. Now, I'm not saying that we're going to make those, and you're all going to wear them, because that would be weird. Today it would be weird, but we have opportunities to kind of do those sort of things. We have opportunities to put the scriptures in a sense on our doorposts of our lives and the fences and that define the boundaries of which where we live. My grandfather used to have a worry stone, a little pocket river stone, and he, by the time he passed away, that thing was like rubbed down on the bone. It was a touchstone. When he worried, pulled it out. Scripture can be the same thing for us. Some of us put tattoos on ourselves as reminders. Psalm 23, that'd be cool. Sometimes we have text messages, reminders to ourselves on our phones. Read this scripture. We have church bells. These are all things that are meant to remind us because we will forget We will get in the hubbub of the day. We'll get up and make our coffee really quickly and out the door we go. Never giving pause and remind ourselves that we must be allowing God to speak to us through scriptures. So whatever that is for you, I know what it is for me. It's my alarm clock that gets me up in the morning. I have my routine that I go through. But I made the routine because if I didn't, I wouldn't have the time. It's a discipline. So... The word. The idea is that we ought to be putting this word in our hearts.